it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. And it if sure you are, is. <laughs> is, isn't it? I know. And and if you're looking for something, the perfect gift for a friend or for yourself, I recommend. Maybe you can recommend it because it sounds really self-serving and narcissistic when I recommend it. Um, the wonderful oral history of Star Trek, uh, the 50-year well, mission. Would that be the 50-year mission? Uh, volume one be. and two? Volume one. Now, I want to make an important distinction. Volume one, available now in paperback. Volume two, only in hardcover still. Right. So, But you can get the audio version, get the digital version. You can get them all. Because maybe them you all. want them get all. Get all of them. You know, because that would be ideal. I, I would prefer <laughs> you get them all. Because I had my, my druthers, as they say. And then, of course, also... Our other books, which are worth checking out, Nobody Does It Better, also available in hardcover and now in paperback. That's about uh, James Bond, isn't it? How'd you guess? I just about James Bond. Because nobody does it better, that's why. It's a great book about James Bond. So as you get ready for the inevitable release of uh, No Time to Die sometime in the next decade. There's no time um, to release. (laughs) You want to pick up No Time to Die, again, also available on digital, audio, and in hardcover and paperback from, uh, from Tor Forge. And uh, if you want to do a deeper dive, check out uh, So So Say We All, our oral history of both Battlestar Galactica series, which is only available in hardcover. And I don't believe there's an audio book. I just think a digital. I'm not sure why they didn't do an audio book. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe we can I'll, do something about that. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll just record <laughs> our own and we'll, we'll show them. So uh, anyway, uh, if you're thinking about the holidays and wondering what to get, please uh, check out uh, my books uh, with Ed Gross. The 50-Year Mission, Volume 1 and 2, So Say We All, An Oral History of Battlestar Galactica, and most recently, Nobody Does It Better, A Complete Oral History of the James Bond Films and Spy Mania. Ed Gross will thank you. Hey, Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I, I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's you know what I love about it's, the Electric Now app? It's better it's on so video. It's so easy to use. It's, it's, it's better really on video. Easy. Download the it. app and you watch us. That's all there is to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff too. You go to the app store. It says electric now. You download it. And then it. in press, the United States. Press the button and there it is. There it is. And you can choose. You can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy and episodes of all your favorite electric surge podcasts. So why wait? Download the electric now app and start enjoying us anytime. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And oh my God, Darren, we are doing it. We have promised Finally. you guys. <laughs> we, we, we've been promising this one forever, and we weren't sure how to do it, but we finally figured it out. We found a um, way. We're, we're, doing, we're doing the typography of Star Trek episode. Are you excited? Does I'm that very get your excited. Hand? This is, a, to this, stand is on a, end? this is a very wide subject. It's also a very compressed subject and sometimes <laughs> an italicized subject, but it's it's going to be a lot of fun because, you know, well, I'm going to extend the joke. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 my goodness. You're a character. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, I, I've been looking I forward say? to this for a long time because I, of course, am a huge 
uh, aficionado of typefaces and fonts and and uh, science fiction uh, and, and Captain, their appearance in in popular culture. And 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 Captain Kern and Letting McCoy. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 the puns, baby, the fast and furious. That's just terrible. terrible. Well, listen, you you know who we're we're bringing on the show. We have um really great guest. Dave Addy is the author of Typeset in the Future, the typography and design in science fiction movies, uh, based on his original blog posts uh, for the Typeset in the Future website. And he's really uh, a great guy, his fascinating stories. And the, the, he just, he's fascinated with the, the ephemera of a subject that most people would uh, you know, wouldn't even uh, think about unfathomable, wouldn't even think about. Right. Yeah. So hopefully for people who are, who are really interested in something, you're going to get a lot out of it. But if somebody you're, you've never even thought about the typography of Star Trek, I think you're going to find this really interesting because Maybe a lot of people open. are thinking about it right. a lot in a lot more detail than you might have. And that's what makes it great. Maybe this will open some people's eyes to um, at least recognizing what's going on and stuff that they're watching. Well, and I love the fact that you were able to share with him information from your experience working on Star Trek, the motion picture that he didn't know about, uh, which is, is fantastic. And oh, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're spending time in the future already. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's <laughs> funny. But, well, look, because you're, you're a professional in this field. I'm only an amateur. So uh, it, was, it was great to talk to the, uh, you know, talk to, talk to the professionals. I mean, it's, I, it's fun to talk about uh, things that are fun to a very small amount of people. But when you find those people, you just sort of click with them. And that I think yeah. that happened at, in this yeah. episode. And, and, and as I'll talk about, you know, um, he spends a lot of time in the book talking about the, the um, uh, typography as, as uh, talked about and, and, and by Franz Joseph in the Blueprints and the Technical Manual. Mm -hmm. And you know somebody really uh, knows their trek if they're going to name check the technical manual and the blueprints. <laughs> Uh, it's not something you often hear mentioned in polite conversation. Right. So uh, I, I, you know, and it's funny. I, I'd love to do an episode on the blueprints and the technical manual one day. I just don't know who, you know, how how we would cover that because um, obviously Franz Joseph. Uh, Franz Joseph Schnaubelt uh, died a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so I I do have ways to access his daughter, so maybe she would be helpful. Uh, maybe she would have. Would some you mind rephrasing that, laddie? You know what I mean. I know what you mean, but uh, yeah, that'd be great. I, I think that'd be a great episode. I mean, the blueprints may be the my favorite Star Trek thing I've ever bought. It, it, it probably is one of the first. They were I've one of the bought. first things that that helped us think of this as something bigger than the show. Yeah, and it yeah. It, it opened up a whole new universe of things that we didn't even think about when we're watching the TV. And, and I still, I'm sure you do too. I have my original blueprints from all the moves from New York to, to college oh, yeah. in Boston yeah. to living in Los Angeles. I've never let go of either that original technical manual or those blueprints. I still have them. Yeah. I love them from every, every once in a while I go through the technical manual. Um, I, I brush up on my technical manuals <laughs> and uh, I also, you know, have, of course have the blueprints. I've, I've thought about actually framing a couple of them, um, but I've never wanted to sort of break up the, the band. You know, yeah. Take, yeah. So. I, you know, I, there's something that, that, you know, plastic pouch that they came in is sort of a magical thing. 
and yeah. that you know when you when you snap it open you opened up a whole world of of wonder that you had no idea that you were going to delve into the same with the with the technical manual with its uh you know uh plastic uh, leatherette uh, uh binding and it's it was, it's just it felt like something real from the future that you were holding in your hands and it was and it a also magical thing you know it also it's also wrapped up in nostalgia uh because sure i i can tell you i mean this is obviously you know 40 something years ago um 75 i think it came out um so i was very young but i remember exactly who bought you know that for me you know you know my aunt who's long gone my aunt my aunt beth and 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 she didn't have kids of her own she was always very generous uh buying me and my brother gifts and uh you know it's funny because i can i think that's why i'm also a big gift giver because i always remember the people who gave me the best gifts. It's right. like, you know, my relatives, it's like, you know, she used to always buy me this cool Star Trek stuff. I have this, the science fiction encyclopedia here that I've always loved. I remember when she bought me that at Walden books. And yeah. um, of course, uh, uh, you know, it's just like, I've, it's, so it's like, I, I just remember it like it was yesterday. It was right across this bookstore across the yeah. street from seniors restaurant on Nostrand Avenue in Brooklyn. I mean, that's how much that meant to me that it's, it's, it's like Christmas story with that BB rifle. Right, right. I mean, I just, the blueprints were so special. And then the, the technical manual shortly thereafter um, was really a marvelous, marvelous, um, marvelous thing. And I love that we talked, we're going to talk about it with Dave Addy uh, in this interview, but he's, he's great. So I think without any further ado, let's bring on Dave Addy and talk about the typography of Trek. And uh, we're thrilled to be here uh, today to do an episode on the typography and fonts of Star Trek for a long time. I mean, obviously you could imagine how much people were clamoring for it, how excited they were, but we were excited and we, we, we heard it enough times and, uh, you know, we were trying to decide the best way to do it because obviously, unless somebody's watching this on the uh, Electric Now video podcast, uh, they are um, largely listening on, in audio, you know, on audio in their cars. So how do you really talk about fonts in a compelling way? Um, on an audio podcast. Well, we're about to find out. And, uh, uh, you know, I have to say it was a very easy decision to, uh, to bring in Dave. Um, Dave, of course, is the author of Typeset in the Future, Typography and Design in Science Fiction Movies. It's a beautiful, I don't know if I'd call it a coffee table book, not really a coffee table book. It's, 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 um, how would you describe it, Darren? I, I would call it, I would call it a nightstand book. A nightstand it's, book. It's, well, it, it, it gives you a good bedtime story about the, all the typefaces that you're familiar with, but never knew to ask about. Not only do I, I love this book and, and, you know, we're recording this right before the holidays. So, uh, and, and we don't get a commission. So I just want to <laughs> say uh, this is a fantastic gift. Um, and I've given it actually uh, to uh, my art department on uh, the last two seasons. Um, uh, I, I you know, gave it to my production designer Um and I've had I've had some problems with fonts on the show. So uh, particularly the first season, the second season, there was a lot more taste. So they didn't need the book as much. But uh, it's it's an absolutely phenomenal, um, phenomenal book. We're going to talk about it. But first, let's welcome uh, Dave to Inglorious Trexperts. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Welcome. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Well, I got to I got to start by asking you. 
first let me tell you you know you anyone who listens to the show everybody listens to the show you know hyperbole does not come easily to us we don't usually indulge in it we 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 we, we tend to be much more cynical so when you hear us just um talking about how great this book is you you know it's true and we're not just saying it because dave's our guest i it's just a, a it's a fantastic book um but but let's let's talk about you know how the book came to fruition because of course this was an interest of yours long before you wrote the book for abrams so how in the world did you become fascinated with typography well unfortunately i think in this case it's all the internet's fault <laughs> um as so many so many things are these days um i um I, i've been a sci-fi fan all my life like many of us and um suddenly at some point i think it's about 2013 realized that every single movie i watched and i was from a design background, so I was always watching them with a design eye. Mm-hmm. I, I saw the same typeface, the same font, time and time again. Um, and it was one of those things where once you'd seen it, you couldn't unsee it. You saw it every single time. And then you spend more time looking at the wall in the background of the shot than at the, the thing you're meant to be watching. Um, so I did a bit of research. It turns out this font is Eurostyle Bold, bold extended. extended. Yes. <laughs> uh, the best way I can explain it on an audio podcast is it is a typeface you will see on the disc of the USS Discovery. The NCC is all in Eurostyle Bold Extended. So that if, you, if, you, if you're watching the show, that is the one you'll recognize. But you'll see it everywhere else as well. It was in you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey and any other sci-fi movie you could care to think of. See, you buried the lead there. That should have been the discovery you <laughs> were talking about. <laughs> 2001. So, okay. Well, so it, it, it started with me, you know, every time I saw it, I would take a screenshot of the movie and I just collected them. And I collected enough that I thought, well, actually, hang on, there's a thing, there's something here. So I um, went over to tvtropes.org, uh, which was a mistake because I then lost about three weeks of my life reading tvtropes.org, uh, and started a new trope, which was called Typeset in the Future, because it was this thing was clearly a way to, a shortcut to establish the time frame of a movie by using this typeface. Um, and that led to me thinking, well, I should find out why. Why is this the font that's been used? So that led to me writing in a lot more detail about 2001 A Space Odyssey digging into not just the typefaces, but the, the design, the production design and everything. Um, and unfortunately, as tends to happen with the internet, it turned out I wasn't the only one who found this interesting. Uh, I put the blog, the, about a thousand, 5,000 word blog post out there and um, everybody else found it interesting as well, which meant I had to write more of them. So <laughs> that was the perfect excuse to go deep on many more films I loved, like Blade Runner, Alien, Moon and so on. Um, over the next few years, these things kept coming out, people kept reading them, and eventually I uh, was contacted by a guy called Matt zoller Seitz, who is the um, editor-in-chief of RogerEbert.com, and also the author of some very amazing um, film books himself, including the um, many on the works of Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. He kindly put me in touch with his editor at Abrams, and the end result was the typeset in the future book. Uh, I then had to spend another two years writing the book, but you know, sure. that, was, that was how it came to be. And what's so interesting is you source such great photography in addition to um, the writing of the book. I mean, and, you know, obviously if you're doing a book about typography and aesthetics, you know, it has to have an elegant art direction. Uh, you know, I think it would sort of, you know, you sort of blow the whole concept behind it. If, uh, if, uh, sorry, Alexa needed to go, uh, um, go away. So, um, but so the book itself is so beautifully designed. I mean, Abrams does a lot of these 
you know, really nice books, but it's really stunning in the way that you use photography and your choice of photography and the way that you illustrate it. One of the things I'm really fascinated with, particularly in terms of the way you dealt with Star Trek, uh, which was really interesting and showed you're a true fan, is when you talked about the original Star Trek and the evolution of typography in Star Trek, you went back to Franz Joseph's technical manual and the Star Trek blueprints, which, uh, you know, is a pretty deep dive. Um, <laughs> not a lot of people, I think, would, would know to start there. And yet that was sort of your ground zero for exploring the typography of Star Trek. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, one of the things I love about that, the technical manual is it was really the first time somebody had gone that much deeper, you know, years, years before I had the opportunity on the kind of the bigger picture of the design and the insignia and all of these different things that make up that, the universe. Sure. Uh, and one of the things that he did was to put together the official type style for the Starfleet, Starfleet specification. Uh, and he actually uses, uh, it's Eurostyle's uh, predecessor, Micrograma. Micrograma. Yeah. I had uh, he, many Letraset sets as a kid, yeah, you know, and, with, and, with the Exacto knife. And, and he explicitly lists it as, you know, the, the um, official um, Starfleet type style. Uh, although he does, the one point he does note in here is that it's, it's uh, number one character, which has a kind of a really sticky out bit at the top, uh, he says should not be used for um, Starfleet craft which is interesting if you're watching Discovery because they do use it. They actually keep the sticky out of the one. They are the first craft to break the official um, type style from the uh, technical manual. Well, the so. thing I found interesting is that since this was written, you know, right after the TV series uh, had gone into syndication and it came way before the motion picture, Eurostyle Bold Extended wasn't used in the original series. It was it was uh, it was the uh, the Air Force font. Uh, I, I don't remember what that's called, but uh, you know there were certainly lots of examples of other things that were used in the show, but uh, microgramma or uh, or uh, you know Eurostyle bold extended was not. <laughs> I think the nearest they got um, in the in the original series was it, they used the non-stretchy version of Eurostyle. So just right. Eurostyle Bold, not the one we all know, which is the, the stretchy right. side of a spaceship mm -hmm. version. Uh, they did use that in, I think, in the end credits. Uh, that, but that was the, you're right, that mm. was the only kind of place it showed up. It wasn't right. really the, the main feature. Um, but I guess I could give them credit, I think, technically before 2001 A Space Odyssey, that they did at least use some variant of Eurostyle. Sure. But, that, but that's not what we remember. What we remember is that kind of italicized Star Trek. Which, Absolutely. You know, that, that typeface, uh, which was called Star Trek, uh, you can buy it digitally now. I think it's now called Horizon. Uh, but there was known as Star Trek was, you know, it, it's so recognizable that everybody knows it. And uh, what, one, of the, one of the things I found was they actually, they used that, I think, for Star Trek Beyond. They just used the word beyond in that font. Right. One of their right. teaser posters. Now, do you know the history of that font? I do not. Oh, oh, oh. I do. Facts. Tell me more. <laughs> um, Richard Edland, who was a famous visual effects uh, supervisor and owned Boss Films and did a ton of movies in the uh, 80s and, you know, the 70s and 80s. He worked for, I believe it was Film Effects of Hollywood or it was the other uh, um, company on the original series that did the main titles. And he created that font by hand. 
That that is an amazing fact. And I talked why to him directly. Spoke, why didn't we speak before I wrote this book? <laughs> I know no one no one knew it. I mean, I have a group of friends that sometimes get together a couple times a year, and it's all visual effects geeks and professionals and all that sort of stuff. And one night he started talking about this and, and my jaw dropped to the ground. I said, do you have any idea how much influence you've been on, you know, my life in particular? <laughs> and yeah, he, as, had, as if... he had no clue, but he hand drew all the letters, all the letter forms. As and if he shot already it. enough of a legend. He yeah, also exactly. designed the Star Trek. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, before that, he, he worked on the Adams family and was occasionally things hand when Ted Cassidy was in the same shot. So, you know, these kind of things just sort of blew my mind. But yeah, that's where it started with Richard Edland. Okay, we're going to need a second edition of this book now. Exactly. That is, that is an amazing fact. Wow. <laughs> Dave, it's, it's so funny because we had a guest on, I think it was two weeks ago, who wrote a, 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 a acclaimed book about Star Trek. And he had a great quote, you know, um, uh, which is very apt. He said, the most I ever learned about what I wrote about was after the book came out, when everyone read it and started coming to me with all these stories that I didn't know when I wrote the book, because they said, I loved your book. And but did you know, or I worked on it and this happened? It was the same thing I had happened, you know, on, on my books. It's amazing how much comes, you know, how much you learn about a subject after the book has been published and you're, you're doing your signings and you're doing interviews and it's, 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 it's crazy. Um, yeah. And what a great excuse to give people an opportunity to share those stories as well. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's we it's actually, so much we, fun. We, we published the, um, the motion picture um, chapter as a blog post sometime after the book was released. Mm -hmm. And that was, it's kind of scary actually, because, you know, this is, this is a subject where people really know their stuff. And I was terrified I'd made some little mistakes in there or, or some things, but the, the feedback and the, the extra bits that people suggested. And um, I, I'm going to probably get her name utterly wrong here. Um, Bio Trimble, do I pronounce this uh, first name correctly? Yes. thank you. Um, she, she posted a comment on the blog saying, thanks for noting these things. Also, here's a couple extra details about these parts of the movie. It's like, she's a legend. And, <laughs> and it, it, it just giving people both a chance to, you know, geek out about it like I did, but also yeah. a chance for folks who know way more about these subjects than I do to um share that knowledge and people were oh, great i learned loads of great new stuff from that and you're right it's only after you've written it that you find all these extra well, fascinating facts i'm so grateful for your book because it it does call out all these things that i haven't even hadn't even thought about and hadn't even you know uh remembered after watching you know all these various shows um did you know here's another one of these things that uh, you may or may not did you know that the, the Star Trek font, the title font itself for the original series was actually used in the show? I did not know that. In what, in what capacity? Where was it used? It's, it is signage huh. in uh, the, uh, the uh, OK Corral episode, uh, Spectre of the Gun. It is on the sheriff sign. The sheriff sign is written in the Star Trek font. Huh. Yeah, okay, we need a second edition. <laughs> just <laughs> just to include that screenshot. I did not Which know that. makes me think that an original version of that font, a, a, a previous version of that font, or the, the typeface, rather, um, was a Western-type font. You know, a, a Western typeface that was used in 
Westerns because it kind of, it, it, it fits, it fits perfectly. And it's that kind of sort of bold signage font that you would expect to see. I keep using the word font. I realize font is a computer term. Typeface is the actual proper thing. I'm going to, I'm going to make that mistake entirely throughout this hour. So just, you know what I, I decided when working on this book that I was, I was not going to choose to differentiate between the two. And I think I use them interchangeably so as not to use the same word too much. So yeah. there are there are technical definitions and differences that I personally choose not to not to be a stickler. I just know we're gonna get a, a, a deluge of uh, Twitter uh, comments uh, about well, I, that. And I, I completely recognize that fact. <laughs> I, I love the sense of fun that you have with this subject in the book, Dave, because for instance, very early on in the book, there's the evolution of Eurostyle Bold and how you make it more futuristic. And you sort of track the evolution of different classic sci-fi typefaces um, and, and, and what you could do to them to, to, to evolve their futuristic quality, whether you know it's, it's, it's in the kerning or rounding the E's or you know, slicing out a bunch of uh, text. And it's just, it's so much fun how we perceive that as being futuristic because as you go through that evolution, it really does seem to become more futuristic. Yeah, and, and more uh, alien as well. It, it, it's getting further and further away from that kind of, you know, the, the very beautiful hand-written human form that we know. And you get this thing that's almost only just recognizable as being the words it is. So you have to kind of really put the work in to figure it out. And it feels all that more futuristic. What I'm going to ask you a question, Darren. I don't mean to put you on the spot because, of course, <laughs> you, re, you redesigned the Star Trek The Motion Picture font for the opening credits of... Um, I didn't the, redesign uh, the font. I, I I designed the the different uh, title presentation but in this the ties director's into edition. Something yeah. that Dave says in his book because when you did um, the, uh, the 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 titles for um, the director's edition of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, you put that font, which was on a black card, onto a starfield. And mm -hmm. Dave, in his book, talks about. The more you pile fonts onto the background, particularly a star field, the more futuristic it becomes. And I'm just curious about your kind of rationale when you approach redoing those, you know, opening credits for Star Trek The Motion Picture when you guys did Well, directly. our rationale was that it was always intended to go over some kind of star field. And that the reason that it was just white over black in the theatrical release was because they ran out of time. And so they left the temp up there because there was no time to composite it. There was no one left around that was alive to composite those, uh, those shots. So when we got the opportunity to revisit that and uh, we showed, uh, we did a couple of versions to show to Robert Wise. And uh, I did one version in sort of gold and yellow and one version in sort of uh, silver and blue. And we showed him both of these and we asked him, does you know, either one of these jump out at you? Do you want to use uh, you know, either of these or something else? And he said, hmm, let's, let's go with the gold. It has more balls. That was his, <laughs> that was his quote. And I, I tended to agree with him. But it was so funny because uh, he said, yeah, we, 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 had, we, we always wanted to put some kind of star field, you know, journeying toward whatever we're, you know, the V'ger cloud uh, that we're seeing. And so we, we, you know, decided that during the, uh, uh, during the uh, overture, we are basically moving backwards through stars. 
And so the stars are moving away from us. And then when we start the main titles, we're moving forward into the stars to V'ger or whatever we wind up to. And so that was always intended to be some kind of star journey in the main titles. And it was just a question of having enough time. Dave, I want to ask you, um, because it, it's so funny, it's how wonderfully geeky you are. You, you take uh, um, the original Star Trek to task for um, when they added D. Kelly in the uh, second season, no longer rounding their ease right. on, on yes. the horizon slash Star Trek font. Um, <laughs> boy, that's, 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 that's <laughs> I, I don't even know if there's a question in there. It's, it's more an awestruck comment that you would uh, point so that I, out. I, I must give credit for the original spot for that to um, a typeface designer and blogger called Eve Peter, who originally um, spotted that. And I, I discovered nice. that from an excellent article you wrote about about um, some Star Trek typography. Uh, but again, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I'm particularly interested about the fact that it was hand designed as it was, because well, maybe, you know, maybe when they came later on, they didn't think to actually go back and use those, those kind of crafted versions. It for the second, I think when they came onto it for the second season that um, Richard Edlund was not working with them still. Uh, that's right. So it might've just go. been, okay, we don't, we don't know. Let's just do it. We got to, you know, we got to get it done by five. Let's get it. So. That's, uh, I mean, that's, this is really interesting. And then of course you track the evolution of the font through the original series into the movies. And then of course uh, into the later series like next generation where, you know, the, the fonts continue to evolve. And, and in terms of, um, your evaluation of sort of what is the most futuristic of the fonts, uh, you sort of give a big thumbs up to Next Generation because it sort of hits your your, your you know checks all the boxes for you in, in terms yeah, of yeah the 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 um the kind of the different tricks you can pull that you mentioned earlier on like slicing bits out and making things sharp where they should be flat and curvy where they should be straight. I think there were, there were ten rules that I I kind of pinned it down to that, that these these typefaces do and Next Generation does seven, was it seven of them. <laughs> um, but it does them extremely well, including a Starfield. It had the Starfield, yes. which was, was impressive. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to say that actually um, the one that eventually won the crown uh, with nine out of 10, it didn't quite do all of the rules, but it did nine out of 10, was the uh, new Star Trek Discovery um, kind of logo type, which is mm -hmm. not only beautiful, but really does pull all of the tricks you could possibly think of. That they dropped the for the third season. Ah, they well. completely changed for the third season. They have a new font. <laughs> or at least in the marketing, they do, <laughs> which is interesting. I don't know if it has anything to do with them trying to uh, integrate the uh, IP, mm. you know, and, and uh, make everything legal and the same. I don't know, I but uh, talk. Sorry, that was interesting. <laughs> for, for, for a younger audience, you know, who grew up with personal computers and, uh, you know, long, long after the age of dot matrix print, you know, they're used to having, um, uh, you know, a font package on their computer, um, being able to do, you know, digital printing. Um, but back in the days, you know, of certainly the original Star Trek, but a lot of the other movies you cover, you, you know, um, obviously creating typography and, and, and creating signage and creating, it was much more challenging. Uh, desktop publishing didn't exist. Um, uh, big bulky typeset machines. Um, uh, you know, there, a lot of people would use uh, Letraset on set, where they would, you know, sort of rub the letters onto, um, uh, you know, onto a, a set 
um, because you couldn't just go out and print signage, you know, And on probably a computer. one of the worst examples of that is in Star Trek Two. Yes, it's so funny. I was going to bring that up too. Go <laughs> the, ahead, Darren. The, the... the belt buckle that Chekhov grabs in Khan's uh, 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 compartment that says <laughs> SS Botany Bay that is obviously uh, Letraset uh, Helvetica. And it is, the, it is the most uneven, clumsy, horrible, uh, quick, let's get it done example of typesetting on a movie that I've ever seen or hopefully will ever see. Even as a kid, when I looked at that, <laughs> I, I'm like, Nick Meyer must have been like, you know, it'd be really cool if this had Botany Bay on it because, you know, what, it's supposed to say Botany Bay, so they check off nose that they, they're not supposed to be here. What's going so on? It's poor like, on set prop guy had to find his letter set sheets and start going, and do it on the, with it hanging there. <laughs> and even then, it's like Helvetica? Really? Yeah. <laughs> but they, they, you know, Letraset was immensely practical for putting yeah. on real stuff. That's the beauty of it. Is it, it's something you you've got it ready made to, and you see quite a lot of red Helvetica. Uh, I've noticed mm -hmm. in sci fi's as well. It's sci-fi movies. It's um, all over the the stuff in Alien because Absolutely. the black black stuff wouldn't show up in a dark moody movie, but the red one would. Um, and I was looking at when I was looking through um, the motion picture. Uh, I think it was the um, Epsilon 9 part. There's some text that appears on screen. And yes. I, I identified what it was. It was Futura Display, but it didn't match any of the digital versions that I found. And eventually I looked up a Letraset sheet of this of this typeface, and it was the Letraset version. It's got a few quirks because uh, it has to work in small, dry marker form. Right. Uh, and yeah, so that's the version they used. I think if that's the one where we first see the uh, the text printing out for the Klingon that is the precursor to the next generation font. Because it has those same cutouts at the yeah. top. It has this, yeah, yeah, the same bits. And there's also a photo of Andy Probert in the motion picture art department with a rendering of Star Trek in that font. And it's yeah. staggered and it's exactly how it is on the next generation. Nice. And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, once you see the photo, you go, oh my God, well, that's where it came from. And so it's, it's magical. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't remember if you call call this out in your book, the font that they used for the subtitles on Vulcan. Oh, it's the um, pump demi. It's this kind of really yes. curvy seventies font. Yeah, it's, and, it, it is, and they use it for Vulcan, so but they 70s. also use it for for Klingon as well. Um, they it's used for both. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it is the most seventies font ever. It is. When we when we did the director's edition, that was the first thing that got the axe, and we changed it. <laughs> we changed it to the font that they use in Star Trek II, which is that corporate uh, one with the with the cut ends, the angled ends, mm. uh, which looks way better. And it's again, it's derived from Eurostyle bold extended. And at the time, I'm sure Pump wasn't, you know, um, kind of anachronistic of the 70s, yeah. but it's become so associated with that time period and it's, that it's you watch the to, movie now. And it, oh, it, yeah. it, it, well, it immediately tells me that we're looking at the theatrical version. Um, but also it, it is so, it is so disco and it is so, you know, they, they, there's a related uh, font family called Bauhaus, which has, it's all rounded and, and uh, you know, like Studio 54 and it's unbelievably wacky. And I have no idea who picked it for the original it release. It's so funny because that use of pump 
in sci-fi movies to be futuristic is like the equivalent of people using comic sans to be funny. Right. You know, it's just like this, this thing that everyone that this is futuristic. That's what I loved about the book. Euro style bold, which is sort of elegant and classy. It's you know, sophisticated, but it doesn't look future. It doesn't like, you don't look at it and think this is futuristic, right? But then when you point out why it works and it, the cleanness and the elegance of it, the sophistication, why it comes across as futuristic, but then people think, oh, but this is really swirly and doing, and this is the future. And it's so cheese ball. It, it, it's amazing. And you see it so much. Um, I had the same this awful experience when my first season with my art director, where they had this thing in, so in Sophia where they felt like they had to label everything. And it got to the point where I would just go down ripping down signage because I'm like, these fonts are awful. They're so cheesy. It looks like Buck Rogers. And, 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 and I'm like, what are we going to put signage? Chair, glass. We don't need to label everything. Like People the Batcave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, people are on a ship, even theoretically have learned their jobs and know what the things on the ship do. We don't need to label everything. And, uh, but, and it was that same idea that I think people who don't really love and understand science fiction, you think that a futuristic font is something that's very, um, you know, different than what we use in everyday life. And that's why mm. so many of these futuristic fonts are so over the top and goofy. Um, mm. And you see that a lot in, 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 in the seventies, you know, well, the mid seventies was plagued by that horrible computer like font. Do you remember that? That was, that was on all the TV shows and all the, you know, magazines, anything that they would, you know, use to show futuristic. It was that strange sort of uh wavy kind of uh, blocky computer, you know, there's no other word. It's a computer font that is terrible, but it was used everywhere. And now it dates all of those TV shows and movies exactly. as being of that time. Exactly. Agree. The, the curious thing with um, Eurostar Bold Extended, even though it's become this kind of, you know, it's synonymous with the future, sure. is we're almost getting to the point where it's kind of becoming synonymous with the past future, if that makes right. sense. Absolutely. Um, oh, now which um, I'm blanking on which of the um, reboot movies where we encountered the USS Franklin. That's uh, um, Beyond. Beyond. Yeah. yeah. So um, the the kind of the ship um, plate that we see of that is mm -hmm. set in Eurostar Bolt Extended, but right. the way it's done, it's kind of like this is the old future. It used to look like this, you know. Right. It's kind of that was the past future, and I wonder if it's almost become so synonymous that we kind of starting to move beyond it a little bit now. It feels almost like our kind of '60s or '60s plus future. Yeah, it's, it's we need very, something else to come through. It's very odd because, of course, the 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 ship markings in the motion picture are sort of like Eurostyle Bold Extended, but it's different. They they completely you know uh, ripped it apart and put it back together in a much <laughs> more sort of elegant form, and gave it a, a whole a, a big military feel to it. And it's just so it's so elegantly done uh, that then they spend. They spent a bunch of time getting it right, and to see the to see the newer stuff just throw up, you know, your style bold extended on their so ships that, just makes me that one. Sad. I think is let me get this right. Starfleet bold extended, the one that's with the kind of the call, extra yeah, outline what, around the edge. Yeah, right. It looks more military because of it's, that outline. It's the dark blue yeah. with the white outline and then a red outline around that. Mm. 
Yeah. So that that was one of the ones um, they included on the. They actually released that official um, Star Trek font pack. Yes. Which this book gave me a fantastic excuse to buy, and I now have a copy of. <laughs> yeah. And Starfleet Bold Extended was one of the ones they included on that. Absolutely. And yeah, it's it's kind of like a militarized, but the good military yeah. version of your style Bold Extended. <laughs> yeah, the Starfleet military. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's just so that that uh, was it a uh, Bitstream made those fonts, I believe. They did, and it um, has it has the original Star Trek, or at least the version the of the original Star Trek font, well. and it's the best representation of that that has ever been released. All the other things that you find on the internet are wrong, because they're <laughs> either the wrong weight or they're the wrong uh, kerning or whatever. It's they're just wrong. But that version was the perfect version that lets you match everything from TOS and go uh, forth into the future. And it's, it's actually hard to find right now. I was, I was fortunate on eBay a few years nice. ago and, um, and it, was, it was well worth the money. It was on a floppy disk actually, the hardest bit was finding a floppy disk right. reader to get it off the, off the floppy Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I, wanna, I wanna mention just a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking on the motion picture right now because they spent a lot of time and energy on the graphic representation, um, apart from the subtitles. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when uh, uh, Douglas Trumbull was brought on board to finish the visual effects in the last year, um, he brought on Richard Foy, who uh, owned a company called Richard Foy Design, and he was a master of, uh, of typeface. And he designed that main title font. And it is probably the most beautiful yet unrelated um, uh, letter form ever, but it completely says Star Trek. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why it works because it's completely separate from anything that was in TOS. Yet it is so beautifully uh, uh, weighted and, uh, and, and balanced and all the letters are gorgeous. And that's why they used it, you know, uh, you know throughout the, the later TV series after Next Generation, because it looks great. And it lends itself to kind of stretching the S and stretching yeah. the, 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 the K out. And it's, it's almost kind of like a, somewhere between a serif and a sans serif font. But it, it, I totally agree about the shapes. It's, it's curved in all the right places. It's got the super curvy E and just really interesting characters throughout it. It, it's a, it it's almost a really nice sort thing. of echoes the shapes of the Enterprise herself. Uh, in a in a strange way, because it has the same sort of balance of straight and curved that the Enterprise does, and it's really always fascinated me since I first saw the film. Well, you talk a lot about in your book um, the idea of extending the asses or, or or the logos as being inherently futuristic, because obviously not only Star Wars, you know, with mm -hmm. the, a long, elongated S and, and T and everything, but also in Star Trek motion picture. But you, I think you also see it to an extent in Buck Rogers and uh, Logan's Run as, as, as well. And, it, it, you know, what, what is it that conveys to us um, something is being futuristic. I mean, there's a fine line between what you said, you know, a pump and Euro style polding. <laughs> right. What is it, that ineffable mm. quality that makes something feel truly, you know, people like Ridley Scott get it. I mean, look at the typography of like Alien, you know, and, and that marketing campaign as well, where it just, it, felt, it just feels inherently futuristic. And yet stuff that, you know, theoretically should be futuristic feels retro and stupid. 
I, so I, as, as part of working on the book, I got to speak to a couple of people who do, this is the day job for them. They, they design and typography and know the mm -hmm. history for, for a living. Uh, Stephen Coles from the uh, from Letterform Archive and Antonio Cavadoni, who's a, he's the big expert on the guy who designed Eurostar World Extended. Right. And the thing that they both noted is that it's actually a lot of the a lot of the typefaces that we see as futuristic, uh, Eurostar is one of them, or the bold version, but also Bank Gothic, which is the other stretchy right. one that everybody uses. They were actually originally designed to be used at incredibly small sizes. Uh, so right. uh, Antonio is Italian, and he told me that Microgrammar is essentially literally Italian for small weight. It was designed right. to be used at like six points, so tiny, tiny sizes. And because they were designed to be used so small, they actually have very kind of flavorful um, angles that mean that you they've got really angled edges so that they don't bleed at small sizes. Right. And they've got and a lot of personality. And you can identify the letters even at small. Exactly. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, you know, we now put them on the side of spaceships and sure. full-size movie screens across the full width, but they were really designed to be small. And it gives them this kind of extra flavor that you maybe don't get for a, a normal use typeface, mm -hmm. but you do with these. Well, it's interesting. I, I, you know, we talked about Botany Bay and the Helvetica a, a disaster. I think there's a lot of uh, 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 bad use of microgram set in Star Trek II on regular one as well. You know, a lot of the, the doors, it looks like, hey, you know, this door to the lab, you know, let's start, you know, putting this, these letters up. And it's just, and again, it, 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 we, we've always talked about why does Star Trek, the motion picture, you know, look so much bigger and better you know, as, as a movie, you know, you, you know, most people say, oh, I like Star Trek 2 so much more, but why does Star Trek 2 look so much cheaper? Well, one reason is it was, but B, um, stuff like that, those creative choices um, where they're cutting corners, it just like, for me, like regular one, not only is half that stuff all rentals from modern props, so you've seen it a million times, so it feels cheap, but, you know, the use of the typography also is very cheap. As you know, like I don't think Star Trek Wise would have ever, you know, allowed some of that stuff, uh, you know, on the set of Star Trek The Motion Picture that, you know, by necessity, I guess, was a part of Star Trek Two because of budget and also the time and the they were working at. Yeah, I think it's I think it's only time. It's that's the that's sort of the only restriction on uh, Star Trek Two, because you know because there was a there was a lower budget, they just didn't have time to to do all this stuff to make it in our eyes, perfect. So one of the, for me, one of the most fun things about working on the book was getting to interview folks who are my design heroes. And yeah. one of those people uh, was uh, Mike Okuda, who's obviously, you know, been a design yeah. guru for, for many, many, many iterations of Star Trek. And he actually talked about this challenge, which is, you know, you're working on a show and the turnaround of the episodes is pretty fast. Uh, and you you do sometimes have to bring in rental props or things that have probably been in 10 different sci-fi shows before. Sure. Um, and the approach that he came up with, which I, I think works very effectively in things like The Next Generation, was he actually made these kind of little lozenges that yeah. uh, were a unifying design theme beyond just a typeface. It was actually, it was its own thing and it would mark them as what they contained or it would mark them right. as what was behind this door. Um, in a way that he could apply to any given prop within seconds, if right. they had to, if they were just like, "Hey, make this look like it's part of you know this craft," they could do it w yeah. by using this, um, but still give them a lot of flexibility to allude as to what this thing was really meant right. to be or why it was really here. I think that was a much more effective way of 
unifying a whole bunch of disparate stuff that you just had to throw together at speed. Absolutely. And, and all those lozenges had text in them, but they were so small, you were never intended to read them. Mm. And because of this, they took uh, some liberties at what they actually did say. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember one of them uh, said uh, 386,000 miles per second, oh, 186,000 miles per second, not just a good idea, it's the law. And uh, that was what one of them said. Uh, another one said, uh, sit right back and hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. Uh, and all of these were so small that you would never be able to read them uh, in the show. But if you're on the set and you're looking at it really closely, you can see all of these little hidden jokes in these little stickers that were everywhere. Yeah, it, it's funny that you mentioned because I was I was going to ask you about the Mike Akuda interview in the book. You know, Mike is so interesting, uh, obviously, because he lives, breathes and eats Trek, um, but he takes it extremely seriously. The universe, the continuity, uh, respecting tradition, even when they did the visual effects for redid the visual effects for the original show. I thought it was very interesting when they replaced the screens with the old microfish when people were reading their Kindles in the 66 uh, original Star Trek. You know, they replaced the screen so it didn't look so much like, you know, they were reading like, uh, you know, a microfish or something. And, and even then, so the fonts changed. Uh, but, you know, what he did for Next Generation is really... A, a extraordinary. You could tell so much thought went into it. And it was really interesting because I had an experience where he designed something for me. And um, when we, he was very kind enough to, 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 to do a, a logo design for us on our show. And I, you know, uh, he offered to do it. I was on the phone with him for two and a half hours for this one design for him to understand everything about this mm -hmm. so that he could create his comp. And it was really a fascinating that, you know, he, takes it so seriously and he puts so much thought into what he's doing um uh, you know and i think for a lot of people um you know some a lot of people involved in star trek say, oh this isn't deep background or you know we're not really going to see this or with depth of field it's not really going to register Mark, on camera. someone someone needs to take it seriously yeah but, <laughs> right someone so my but my so mike takes it so seriously that um I, I, that you feel it, it contributes to why the universe feels cohesive and why it feels real and why it feels grounded and why it doesn't feel like Buck Rogers because, you know, he, and, and I think that, you know, he is in a way the keeper of the flame and it's such a testament to him. And I think the interview you did with him in the book is great. And, um, you know, it's, it's always great to hear his perspective on, on things because yeah, he's, he, you know, he was, was he, he was a not only an amazing person to interview, but I, I totally agree. He is someone who is, you know, he, he, he's gone very deep on multiple iterations of this and really thought through what it means to to create something that can still look fresh or be used for storytelling purposes, multiple episodes and multiple seasons. And I, I think the the type choice he made for the Elkars interface, which is kind of going the other way, it's the really squished font. You know, right. It's um, like an ultra compressed um Eurostyle bold equivalent like but going the other way super squished yeah actually is brilliant for this because uh, and he, he was talking through the the goal he had of it and I actually went back and looked at a bunch of screenshots I'd taken and it works it works every time it's both really good in close-up that if you want to say planet about to explode you can read that very clearly if you put mm -hmm. it big enough in close-up but the further you move away from it the more that text kind of becomes like a block of color or a strip of color yeah 
that blends in with the yeah, yeah that blends in with the curves and the t's and the l's that shapes that are already mm. part of that interface so it's kind of a double whammy if you want it to fade into the background it will but if you want it to really show up and tell the storyline point it will and i think that's so cleverly done to create something that can be that flexible whenever you need it to be you did a great absolutely job. yeah no for, for sure and i think there's a consistency over you know certainly those 30 years between next generation and enterprise um you know uh but even even with the original series and i that's that that helps contribute to the, the consistency of the universe and if anyone doubts the value of putting thought into this or, or or does it really make a difference they should just look back at star trek 3 and those atari 2600 graphics when the computer is counting down to the destruction of the enterprise yeah. and how much that takes you out of what should be a very dramatic scene because the graphics are so awful and and clearly very little thought went into them. Well, Whereas they're just inconsistent with the world that they've already established in two yes. movies. And, um, and, you know, that's somebody like Leonard Nimoy who should have said, no, we, we, this is not the way we do it on this, on the, uh, uh, and, and, and had it designed properly. Um, I mean, it's amazing to me, for instance, like in Star Wars, you can still have those vector graphics that, um, you know, when the Death Star, when they were showing the Death Star being destroyed right. um, and, and the graphics on, in, on the X-Wings that, you know, are totally a throwback to what they could do in the 70s. But it's done in such a clean way that even now you look at it, you don't think, oh, my God, this is so primitive. Right. It, it looks like that is the aesthetic of the universe. And and so you're watching Mandalorian. It doesn't take you out of the episode because it's it it, it because it, you're the, you're left looking at the design rather than the methodology. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and it, it it's it working on some of the the earlier movies in the book, particularly 2001: Space Odyssey. Mm -hmm. I was kind of blown away as I rewatch them now by actually how they look more futuristic because they didn't have the computer generate the, the tech to do the computer graphics back right. then. So they did. Flat, well, flat black, uh, back projections, but what right. we would now call flat screens, you know, and it, it looks more like the displays of today because they didn't have the tech to do it on a cathode ray screen. So they, they've yeah. kind of made themselves maybe accidentally more futuristic. Maybe just they have the vision of, well, you know, let's not be tied by the technology we have, but it, it works. Well, and it's uh, the, if you hear uh, Doug Trumbull talk about his uh, process for making all those rear projected screens on HAL specifically, that so much thought went into those and so much preparation and, and uh, you know, figuring out ways to do these animations rather quickly because they needed to be, there was tons of them to do. And again, they needed to be strung up on the projectors in the, in the centrifuge uh, and, and played all the time. And it's just a, a miraculous amount of not only design, but engineering to get this stuff to work. And the fact that, you know, he made that um, that animation of the AE thirty five antenna uh, on the on the view screen out of actual wire. That's an actual wireframe animation, and it's a physical uh, you know coat hanger wire bent into that shape that he shot on uh, high contrast film, and that's what it is. And it's completely amazing. And the the great you know the great design that goes into each of those screens, you know, along with the, you know, uh, uh, microgramma and uh, uh, Eurostyle bold extended that is that pops up 
as just sort of letters and numbers that don't really mean anything to us consciously, but subconsciously they say, oh, well, I guess that means something to whoever is looking at that on the spaceship. Mm. Uh, that's what is so uh, amazing and, and wondrous. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I think it really began that trend of, we want to have something here that looks meaningful, but that actually doesn't distract you, the viewer, from the story. Because if we put words on here, you know, you can't help but read them. Your brain cannot help but process right. that linguistic input. And if it's processing that, it's not listening to the words the actors are saying. Yeah. So coming up with those tricks, uh, which 2001 does so well in those, in those screens to have things that you kind of go, this, look, this looks real, I'm gonna trust it and now I'll look at it. It's mm -hmm. kind of, it's almost becoming design, you know, design rather than text at that point, I think is, is essential because otherwise it takes you out of the story. And Kubrick specifically was very interested in that kind of thing too, um, in terms of the overall design, because you can see that in um, the difference between, you know, the title cards that he pops up for, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the Dawn of Man and, uh, and later uh, when we go on the discovery mission, those type styles change. And, and also the fact that the type styles that he chose for the main and end credits and the advertising for the film are all sort of, they form a cohesive whole and they work together and they feed off each other and they create this complete graphic representation of the film. And yeah. it's, it's so fun to sort of dive into and, and discover these differences that you'd never think about when you're watching the movie at all. Hmm. But when you I, analyze indeed, it afterwards, it's so much fun. And if you did think about them while you were watching the movie, that's a sign they did it wrong. The fact that's that it right. worked so well. It, it exactly, exactly. The, the, um, the, the moment I knew that this was a thing I had to write more about was the, spot, the point I was lo looking at 2001 A Space Odyssey, figured out what font it was, and then realized that they hadn't used the zeros from that typeface right. because they weren't curvy enough. Right. They were they were kind of oval shapes, but actually yeah. it was at a point where you've got, you know, the earth and the sun and the moon and everything's perfectly circular. So they use the big letter O instead. Yeah. The zeros in 2001 are letter O's because yeah. it just looked better. Yeah. But yeah so in the, the main title, choice. you're looking at 2001, the space exactly. odyssey. <laughs> which is and so it is great. exactly the right design choice for that scene. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love what you talk about in your acknowledgments, how uh, it, it has become such an obsession that even your wife while watching Buffy is calling you into the room, <laughs> telling you to look at, 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 at the, the fonts. Uh, it, it, it's and, it, you know, I think there's a reason that the people like Ridley Scott and Stanley Kubrick, who are most focused, you know, who, who on, on, on the details um, have been the most successful in a way of presenting these visions of the future because it's easy to say, oh, I only care about the acting or I only care about the, but if you're not, when you're doing science fiction, if you're not concerned about everything, uh, it's not going to work. Something is going to pull the string. And I mean, I, I've seen it with super titles, you know, people don't, who don't put enough uh, thought into what their super titles are going to be and i've dealt with it with the editors too where they put something in and it's like no that, that that font is completely wrong for the super title and um it's uh it's it, it's it's amazing that just one th thing that seems off can pull the thread on everything um, absolutely and it, it's it's world building i mean you know if, if yeah. all of these things have to collaborate and combined to build a believable world and if one thing doesn't if one thing's off from that kind of shared vision of it then it pulls you out and it and you're no longer in the in the moment
I want to ask you, because we talked a lot about Star Trek, but um, obviously you deal with a lot of iconic uh, genre films, TV shows in your book. For you, what was the most satisfying or what do you think is what what's the most impressive achievement or what's your favorite chapter in 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 the book you know wow. from a personal perspective good question i mean honestly the the book was such a great excuse to go deep on a number of movies and actually it went beyond just even those seven movies it went into just you know the, the whole thing that I, I don't think there's one that's there's one that stood out but maybe the one i enjoyed the most because it was the one i knew least about and there was the most to discover was 2001 you know d- discovering that they had they had worked with like 40 companies of the, the time and got their real prototypes that they were working on for their future products and said, can we just include them in the movie? Because that's, you know, that's the best that anyone's got right now of what this future might be. I and mean, just discovering basically what we were just saying, the detail that they had gone to. I mean, there were so many rabbit holes for me to go down. It was wonderful. And so many excuses to buy ephemera and other things that I could then claim as research as well. Sure. It was a, a great opportunity. <laughs> I mean, if you look at some of the great futurists, you know, even somebody who's a really successful futurist, well, they probably get 40% of their guesses are come to pass, you know, or, you know, Arthur C. Clarke, he, he got satellites, right? But, you know, if you want, I mean, I, there's this great article that was circulating a couple of years ago, Isaac Asimov's um, predictions about the year, I think it was 2020 you know, or, or something like that, or, and, and, you know, it, it wasn't even close. Right. So <laughs> it, it really is this incredible, you, you know, there's an audacity to trying to guess what the future is going to be like. I mean, as great as, as, as unfortunately close to reality as Blade Runner may come in some ways, uh, you know, it still had Atari and Pan Am in it. So it's a yeah. treacherous path <laughs> when you, uh, you know, try and, and guess what the future is going to be. And, you know, certainly typography is a huge part of that. Oh, absolutely. You make, you know, you choose pump by accident and, and yeah, you need to, you need to master it out when you next kind of do the, do the reversion with, thanks to Darren. Um, there's, with being a futurist and C, Arthur C. Clarke's a great example of this. I think as long as you get enough of them right or close enough, then you are, you know, you can, you can get a few maybe that don't hold up. What, one of the bits of ephemera I picked up, oh, justified buying as part of working on this book was the uh, the MGM promotional uh, booklet that came out for 2001. Yes. And it includes a little piece by Arthur C. Clarke about the electronic library, a marvel of future. And I'm reading it here in the book as, as we talk. And he basically describes the internet. Uh, Any man on earth who knows how to dial the right numbers will have immediate access to all printed knowledge flashed from central memory bank up to the nearest satellite and down again to be displayed on the screen of his receiver. And he'll be able to store it in his own electronic library for easy reference, just as we now record music or conversation. I mean, yes. Yeah. He did pretty much that. One of those, please, uh, in 1960-something. So he, he, he had some good ideas. No, and I look, I look at Gene Roddenberry when he was, you know, talking about doing the cage in, in, in 64 before they filmed it. You know, he was talking about, I foresee uh, on the Enterprise having a giant computer brain, which will have knowledge of the entire galaxy and you'll be able to navigate around the universe. And we talked about this on another show before that, um, the way that they got around the galaxy and Forbidden Planet was using an astrogator. You know, Roddenberry's like, no, there'll be a computer and you'll put in the coordinates and they'll take you where you need to go. And, um, uh, you know, it was so, so incredibly uh, prescient, but you know it's like the little things that amaze me. I mean, who would have thought that packaging would become such a big deal? You know, until the I think it was with the iPod, where it came in this beautiful 
cardboard box and the fonts were just so perfect and the instruction manuals, the way you take it out of the box. And now every product that wants to be high end now has this elaborate packaging. And yeah, you know, who presentation. Yeah, the presentation of presentation. the product to you. Yeah, and it's 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 really you know remarkable, and that's certainly I don't think anything anyone would have <laughs> guessed you know uh, uh, you know thirty years ago. Um, but I, you know, again, I just can't say enough good things about your your fabulous book. I mean, it's Thank so you. great, and uh, Abrams did such a wonderful job on it. Was it difficult for you to source all the photography? Um, um, well, one of the good things about this book is obviously a lot of it is is drawn from the you know the, the TV shows and the movies themselves. The mm -hmm. the bits that that were harder are actually really tracking down the you know, original photography or tracking down product photography at the time. Um, one of the one of the most fun bits, and I think the best finds for me when I was working on the um, motion picture chapter, was I discovered at a New York gallery a poster, full size, kind of you know sixty by forty poster. Um, that Fiat had released at the time the movie came out, advertising the Fiat Panda, this tiny little boxy car that they made. Um, and that was, yeah. it was like, well, how am I going to source a picture of this to include in the book? Uh, and the only answer was to spend $500 on a poster of the Starship Enterprise and a Fiat Panda and buy the poster and receive the poster and then take a photograph of the poster and include it in the book. And it yes. was worth every cent. <laughs> yeah people always think oh man you're getting this big advance to write this book you you must be loaded they don't realize how much you spend like to, when you're writing the book to buy the photos and do the interviews and to, you know it's like by the time you're done it's like uh, you're doing charity work <laughs> and now i have a wall-sized poster of you know exactly that which i can put <laughs> in my house so it's 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 all good <laughs> yeah that's great well dave this has been so much fun uh to talk to you uh Likewise. like i said this has been um, something we've wanted to talk about for a while. And uh, our listeners keep reminding us from time to time that we've promised the show. And again, it was sort of like, who do we talk to? Well, it was obviously, you know, you go to the, the man who wrote the definitive book about uh, <laughs> I've said in the future. Uh, it's amazing. This book exists. It's amazing. It's amazing. You were able to sell it. You know, it, it, it's, 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 uh, I, I mean, now, uh, you know, in, in the publishing world where everything is so like, um, you know, it's harder and harder uh, to sell stuff and, you know, what, what's commercial and then do these book proposals and, you know, they want to see comparables, like what's like this and what is it sold for you to do something that's so unique and uh, so, so original and, and uh, it's, it's, it's just great. So uh, it's wonderful that a book like this exists. Thank you. Thanks. And thank um, you, the internet, for making it possible. <laughs> for finding enough, for proving that there were enough other people who also love to go deep on this stuff as we do. I mean, that's yeah. that's really what what led to it happening. So, thank you. Yeah, for that. well, <laughs> I, you couldn't you couldn't have done this book forty years ago. Could you imagine? Yeah. First of all, you wouldn't get access to the photography, and then could you imagine having to do paste up on this? Oh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the typesetting this book in uh, in the in the old <laughs> days before digital publishing. Oh my God! Anyway, uh, Dave, it's been so great having you on the show, and and good luck. And are you working on any new books, or is this it? Have you you this was your white well? I've um I've taken a little break after this one. I've taken to just watching and enjoying the movies rather than screenshotting them and pausing them and looking at the walls <laughs> in the background. But uh, never say never. There's plenty more sci-fi movies out there yet. Nice. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, take care. Happy holidays. Stay, stay healthy. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you when you do the revised version that you don't know you're writing. <laughs> Thanks so Thank much. You too. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye. See, we didn't lie to you. That was a great show. That was you, a great show. You didn't think it was going to be a great you show, didn't, did you? You didn't audience? think you'd like it, did you? No, yeah, you, you didn't. But you see, trust us.
You thought it'd be like eating your vegetables. You thought this was going to be like, what, asparagus or like... How can you do an audio podcast about type? That's just yeah. ludicrous. It's just unthinkable. It's, it's, it's idiotic, if you don't mind me saying so. But we, we did it. <laughs> but we did it. We thought we could do it. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm just... Uh, but I could have talked to him for a lot longer, yeah. you know? And, uh, and about and if, other shows. If yeah, exactly. If we weren't just the Inglorious Trexperts, I would have wanted to talk about Blade Runner and and Alien a lot more, and you know all these various shows that sort of uh, you know subtly uh, expand their universe through type and uh, and signage and other things. Well, like I'd that. also you know like to talk about. I mean, we talked so much about Horizon, the Star Trek font. Um, how beautiful that original Star Trek font is. Yeah. You know, in the 70s, I got to tell you, the worse the movie, usually the better title treatment they had. Because, you know, like <laughs> the Black Hole has an amazing title treatment. Logan's Run, but Buck Rogers had a beautiful title treatment. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it's 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 really amazing uh, what, uh, you know. You know, I also love the font of Battlestar Galactica, the original Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. Well, and That's of course, great. half of that is Eurostyle Bold Extended. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about that. We should have <laughs> talked about that. We'll always try to find a way to put Battlestar Galactica in there. Of course. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the big thing that came out of it is we talk about is, like, you use the wrong font, and it can totally take you out of, yeah. you know. Wrong uh, thinking uh, is punishable. Yeah, I'm so glad. It's so funny that you brought up the Botany Bay Helvetica thing. Oh my God, it's the worst thing ever. And I, that has you know, I don't me for 40 years. I don't blame the poor, you know, onset prop guy who had to do that. I really don't. I just blame the environment with which he had to do that so quickly yeah. and so um, quickly. <laughs> well, because also you see some of the propage that's so great, like the necklace that Khan wears with sure. the and insignia. I mean, so clearly there was a lot of thought Absolutely. that was going in. Absolutely. Uh, and it's obvious that that was a last minute thing. But it the problem is it shouldn't have been because it was in the script. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That he, he, and, you know, I don't know quite why the belt buckle said Botany Bay. I think there were probably better ways to convey the fact that this was the Botany Bay. There should have been. But I, you know, look, I'm sure they spent a lot more time thinking about how Chekhov would find out it was the Botany Bay than actually, you know, realizing that in reality. So yeah. it's it's just it's one of those things, you know, when you're creating uh, entertainment or films or, or storytelling, whatever, you have to make quick decisions sometimes. And it's not all going to be what you want it to be. And I think this is one of those instances where it, it made a difference, at least to me watching it. Pulled well, me out I, of I, it. Be before we wrap up, I want to warn the audience that we have a, a real treat coming up for the uh, holidays this year. You a know, warning? Last, a warning, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, because, you know, if, if you like listening to the Trexperts, you know, you probably devoted a lot of time to listening to our shows. But we're doing a monster holiday countdown this year. 101 greatest sci-fi and fantasy TV episodes of all time. So this isn't just Star Trek. This is the big one, 007. Right. This is... <laughs> everything this is all the great sci-fi series Believe will your me, favorite could, episode be represented if we could do 101 of the best original series star trek episodes we would yeah <laughs> uh, 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 and here again but, is a muck time <laughs> we, we we did the uh the 51 greatest um star trek episodes of all time 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when, the first year, the second year, we did 51 greatest Star Trek moments, which mm-hmm. was really fun. And and again, this year we we wrestled with what it should be. We didn't want to do worst episodes, and we didn't want to do. Um, uh, you know, we talked about doing the movies. Part of the problem with doing the movies is I think it would be very hard for us to find common ground among yeah. all of us. Because, like, for instance, you know, Darren just hates Star Trek Six, and I, I like it a lot more than he does. And it just be, I think, it'd be hard to come to agree to a list. Um, and it's I don't like want to talk it, about stuff that I hate. And it's I, like and car, neither do you. Cardon admission. It's right. like the admission of Cardon. We just can't agree. So, um, <laughs> so we decided, in the interest of of, of amity, uh, we would um, amity we would do as something you knew, else. As you know, means friendship. <laughs> So we're doing instead the, 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 this thing on the best uh, 101 best uh, sci-fi and fantasy TV shows of all time, which will be good because, you know, um, I, I will tell you that Super Train did not make the cut, but uh, but there are this some year? other surprises <laughs> this year. There's some other surprises, which I think you'll find uh, exciting. I hope so. You keep an eye out between Christmas and New Year's for that. But until then, every Friday night, we have our regular episodes on the uh, Trexperts. And if you're a fan of the show, you should also listen to some of our sister podcasts like Disco Nights, in which Ryan Britt and Chase Masterson talk about all the iterations of modern Trek. They just had on uh, a guest from... um, Discovery, uh, who plays an Andorian. Uh, I hear it's a very good uh, episode. I haven't listened to it myself yet, but I'll make uh, make a point of listening to it soon. Um, and of course, uh, um, we have think, best movies ever made. Ought, I think we ought to have a guest from Discovery, David Cronenberg. Oh my God, I know, right? <laughs> that, uh, yeah. You want us to we'll, talk about Discovery? We'll, we'll talk about it with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with David, but the problem is we have David Cronenberg on, and then we never talk about Discovery. We well, end up talking true. about we talk about <laughs> scanners and the fly, and and uh, you know we we never get to it. So we, you um, know, fifteen minutes on Videodrome with uh, Robert Meyer Burnett alone. <laughs> <laughs> You're being charitable if you think it's going to be fifteen minutes, because I think Rob talking about Videodrome with David Cronenberg <laughs> that's an hour right there. Oh uh, yeah, I think um, you're right. But, uh, but yeah, they're doing a great job on Disco Nights. So if you're a fan of Modern Trek, you should definitely check out their podcast. Um, we're proud to be uh, presenting it. Um, and then, of course, uh, 430 Movie. We've been back uh, curating fantasy theme weeks every week on the 430 Movie. So you want to check that out. And, of course, you can watch all these video po- as video podcasts on the Electric Now video uh, streaming app. So uh, go to your favorite app store and download Electric Now, where you can watch uh, all the Electric Search podcasts, as well as TV and movies from the Electric Entertainment Library, like the Librarians and Leverage. So check that out for the holidays. And of course, if you're interested in purchasing some holiday gifts, you can go to ingloriousTrexperts.com and visit our store, where there's in all kinds of Inglorious Trexperts swag. Yeah, so check that out. <laughs> um, that'll, that'll, be, that'll be fun. Uh, uh, and uh, you can get it for someone you like, love, or desperately lust after. Um, and uh, other than that, um, oh, yeah, uh, if you are a fan of the show, go to uh, iTunes and rate us five stars to let other people know they should check out our show because we probably lost a lot of listeners after they saw we were doing an episode on the typefaces or, of Star Trek. Or maybe this episode was just your type. Oh, huh? man. That wow, you win. You're the pun there master. We go. You win. You win. <laughs> I, I I bow down to you, Darren Dockerman. Um, and then uh, what else is there? What, we want to thank our. Uh, see, I don't write this stuff out. 
Um, I want to thank our producer, Natalie Miscali, our production coordinator, Peter Holmstrom, and of course, our fantastic sound engineer, uh, the great uh, uh, Bill Ritter. I really miss being in the studio most of all because it was always great to get Bill's feedback after an episode yeah. where he would tell us what he thought of the episode. And uh, he didn't mince words, Bones. And he would also uh, always have worked with someone that we, you know, it's like, oh, we mentioned something. And he always says, oh, I worked on that yeah. or I worked on that. And he'd always have great stories. So we, we miss seeing Bill and we wish him a very happy holidays along with all of you. So until next week, uh, with an all-new episode of Inglorious Trexperts, keep on trekking, stay healthy and safe, and gloriously, of course, engage. You're listening to the Electric Surge Network.